Hi, I'm Carla Wainwright. And I'm Little Leah. And welcome to the Radical Sex Witches podcast, where we explore the themes of sexuality, feminism, consciousness, love, healing, ritual, magic, and all things witchy and wonderful. Hello, all you body babes, and welcome to another episode of the Radical Sex Witches. I'm Little Leah, and with me as always is uh, the gorgeous Carla Wainwright, Cunty Carla. What's up? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad my voice sounds better. When I was doing the, you know, the post-production of our podcast and I was listening to myself, um, and my horrible cold voice, I was like, wow. Your phone so I just wanna, operator voice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't even, it, it didn't sound sexy to me. I don't know if like super congested is <laughs> hey, anyone's jam. It's someone's jam. It's I'm someone's sure. jam. But, um, Write us yeah. listeners. Did you get turned on by sick Carla? <laughs> We're going to get one message for sure. Yeah, I put it on heavy rotation. <laughs> well, we've been here a whole 30 seconds and went to shit already, so maybe we should get things started. Sounds <laughs> good. We've got our first bad babe of history for 2024, and this nasty gal singer is not to be confused with an actress by the same name. Today, we're talking about renowned funk singer Betty Davis. Never heard of her? Well, she's been acknowledged as an influence and inspiration for generations of musicians, including her husband, Miles Davis, and everyone from Prince and Rick James to Erica Badu and Janelle Monae. She's also been sampled by artists like Ice Cube, and in more than recent years, she's had her music appear in Orange is the New Black and High Fidelity. She sang about sex bluntly in her own terms, demanding satisfaction with feral yowls and rasps, which basically paved the way for everyone singing about sex today. And she dominated the stage in shiny, skimpy, and futuristic outfits. Betty Davis was beyond her beyond her time, and it's why the music industry turned their backs on her, even though now she's considered a very important pioneer to music. So I personally first found out about Betty when I watched Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus, in which he featured her for the final episode of season two, which is entirely dedicated to funk. And Judge said she was an explosive artist dedicated to the funk as any of the men appearing in the season, but found more backlash and grief than everlasting fame. Funk's greatest secret and most painful truth. So this one is for you, Betty. Carla, help me introduce this legend to our listeners. Yes, absolutely. So Betty Gray Mabry was born in Durham, North Carolina on July 26, 1944, and she developed an interest in music when she was about 10 and was introduced to various blues musicians by her grandmother while staying at her farm in Reedsville. And at 12, she wrote one of her first songs called I'm Gonna Bake That Cake of Love. That's pretty cute. <laughs> that is cute. Um, the family relocated to Homestead, Pennsylvania, so her father could work at a steel mill. And Wikipedia cites Betty wanting to go into show business after seeing her father dance like Elvis Presley. <laughs> Must have been a good dancer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then when she was 16, Betty left Homestead for New York City, enrolling at the Fashion Institute, Institute of Technology while living with her aunt. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. Can you imagine being like 16, heading off to New York City? Yeah. Coming from Pennsylvania is probably quite the eye opener. Yeah, Totally. And so at that time, she became really involved with the culture and folk music of the early 60s that was, you know, running through Greenwich Village. And she frequented the cellar, which was a hip uptown club where young and stylish people congregated. And the cellar was a multiracial, artsy crowd of models, design students, actors and singers. And she worked as a model and she had photo spreads in 17, 
Ebody and uh, is that supposed to be Ebony? I think it's Ebony. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that, everybody. Ebony. Ebony. <laughs> and Glamour magazines. Yeah. Those are big publications. They, they were big publications. I remember those from my youth very well. Uh, she was also a club manager and reveled in the city's nightlife, meeting and becoming friends with figures like Andy Warhol and Sly Stone, Eric Clapton, and Jimi Hendrix. And she's also rumored that uh, she had some relationships at different points with Hendrix and Clapton. And other famous people, too, which uh, didn't make it into the show notes. <laughs> uh, through that whole time, though, Betty did continue writing songs. And in 1967, the Chambers Brothers recorded one of hers called Uptown to Harlem. And in 1968, her then-boyfriend, Hugh Mesquila, arranged a single for her called Live, Love, Learn, which she later dismissed as mushy. <laughs> it's like Live, Laugh, Love. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't like that either. She, she wouldn't like that either. <laughs> Um, but not long after that, she was in a club and she spotted a very fine dressed man. She didn't know who he was, but he too was eyeing up Betty. And it ended up being Miles Davis who sent over his bar- bodyguard to ask her to join him for a drink. How cliche. <laughs> and your bodyguard that, asking. Yeah, you know how you like send over your your whatever <laughs> one of your entourage and be like, That's Miles right. Davis wants to have a drink with you. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, But after that meeting, Betty actually followed Miles home secretly, knocked on the door where he and his girlfriend, Cicely Tyson, we all know her, the actress, where they live together. And she said, when you get rid of her, call me. (laughs) So Betty and Miles actually married in 1968, not long after that. And while the marriage only lasted a year, they both had major impacts on each other's lives, but in very different ways. So for Miles... Betty reinvented his whole entire style. Like, you know, think of the classic jazz suits. He jumped to like, you know, the 70s, bare chest, leather vest, oversized sunglasses. And then his music was also directly influenced. And he actually decided to buy a wah-wah pedal for his trumpet. And this had only ever been seen on guitars before at that point. And it turned the jazz world upside down. And it's actually still talked about a lot to this day. The album that he came out with in this era, he wanted to call Witch's Brew. But Betty convinced him to call it Bitches Brew, and he loved it. And apparently, too, like, Miles Davis loved calling people bitch, like, hey, bitch, come here. Bitch, you bitch. So <laughs> I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> Betty's face also appeared on the cover of Feed to Kilimanjaro, an album that Miles recorded in 1968. And then he was producing sessions for his wife in 1969 with his musicians, including Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter, and John McLaughlin, along with Jimi Hendrix's rhythm section, Billy Cox and Mitch Mitchell. Um, But that was actually shelved by Columbia Records, and the sessions were released in only 2016 as, in quotation marks, the Columbia years, 1968 through 1969. One of the songs she recorded was Cream's Politician, and she said of Miles that the song made him so uptight because it was so suggestive for his wife to say, get into the back seat. And it led to a song title Miles Davis would release years later (laughs) called Backseat Betty. (laughs) (laughs) But ultimately, it was a tumultuous and even violent year of marriage. And Betty said, every day married to him was a day I earned the name Davis. Mm. But they still remain. They still remain friends and work together. They just, you know, probably couldn't be in a probably couldn't be married. Yeah. 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 So after the divorce, Betty went full throttle into her music. And in 1969, Michael Lang, promoter of Woodstock, signed her up to his label. 
uh, Just Sunshine, and Eric, uh, sorry, Greg Erico, the drummer from Sly and the Family Stone, produced her 1973 album, Betty Davis, backing her with San Francisco Luminaries. And to tour, Ms. Davis assembled um, a band called Funk House. But her lyrics and performance, which were again ahead of its time, drew really strong reactions. So she said, I used to make the guys uptight sometimes. The women were very receptive to me. Yeah, you got to think this is the time of the rise of feminism in America. So a lot different. So um, and maybe this is why. She'd spread her legs (laughs) on stage (laughs) and use the microphone like a penis, creating shock and awe. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so her husband, her ex-husband, Miles, encouraged her to produce her own albums. And she did She did that for the next two. They Sam Different in 1974 and um, still under Just Sunshine and Nasty Gal in 1975 under Island Light Records. And she sang each line of the arrangements. Betty would get the ideas for music and she'd put it on tape. She'd be humming on the cassette and we'd learn all the parts, said, Fred's Mill, said Fred Mills, the guitarist in the final lineup of Funk House. Yeah, she would do all of the parts and just be like, hmm, 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 hmm. And then her amazing musicians would just like take that, figure it out, and put the song together. Awesome. Yeah, so Nasty Gal was to be her make or break moment, uh, along with her most jaggedly assertive funk. It also included You and I, a ballad written with Miles and arranged by Gil Evans. But the album was too radical for its era. So Betty and Betty and Funkhouse recorded what was to be a follow-up album also at the same time, including the bitter Stars Starve, you know, but Island didn't release it and they actually dropped her contract. So this is actually now where the lore of Betty gets murky. Uh, Watching tales from the tour bus, her friends and fellow musicians said during the follow-up, that follow-up album, there were, were recording issues and Betty ultimately disappeared completely. No one knew if she was alive or dead for a long time, but they mentioned that her mother took her back to Pennsylvania and was put into a mental institution and put on a load of psychotropic drugs, Uh, that she became paranoid, that everyone was out to get her, and she disappeared basically from the stage forever. But this is where things shift here, where I'm like, I don't know what the real answer is. Uh, In 2018, Betty gave an extremely rare interview to the New York Times. Like, she literally had disappeared from the face of the earth. Um... And after, it's because she agreed to be part of the documentary about her of her life called Betty, They Say I'm Different. So after years of conversations with its director, Phil Cox, and producer Damon Smith, she agreed to co- cooperate in the film because she said, I figure it would be better to have them cover me when I was alive than when I was dead. And she paints a very different picture of what happened after leaving the industry. When I was told that it was over, I just accepted it, she said, and nobody else came knocking at my door. And then after the death of her father in 1980, she said that I went to another level. I was no longer about the music or anything. It was about me losing a part of myself, and it was devastating. So I don't know if she really – I have to go see that film. Maybe mm-hmm. they do cover anything about, like, the institution, but, like, the New York Times article that this is based off of it does not mention it. Right, right. Yeah, and anyway, just, you know, we – in some of our past – bad babes of history you know this is the thing is that like as women age they just become forgotten they're not given opportunities anymore. she was still very young when like that album that yeah. last like third album was done yep well we all know what older for a woman means yeah <laughs> past the age that leonardo dicaprio won't date will date yeah something <laughs> like that <laughs> 
But there was one more flicker in her performing career. In the early 80s, she said she spent a year in Japan where she played club dates with a Japanese band. And during a visit to Mount Fuji, uh, she met some silent monks and she found spiritual revelation. So after her time in Japan, she said, I just got really quiet. But her music was not forgotten. And in the 2000s, uh, persistent longtime fans convinced her to allow reissues of her recordings on the dedicated archival label Light in the Attic. And it has released all three of her 1970s albums, as well as her Columbia sessions from the 60s and her last 70s sessions with Funk House. And when she was asked if she'd perform again during the New York Times article, she was 72 at the time, Betty ruled it out. She said, with age, your looks change. And she uh, preferred to not disturb her fans' image of her. I want to leave them with what they had, she said. Oh, Betty. Yeah, it makes me sad, but it is yeah. what it um, After I watched Tales from the Tour Bus, I only watched this episode last year. It's the first time I ever heard of Betty Davis. I needed to know what happened to her. And I sadly found out that she passed away the year before on February 9th, 2022, and she was 78. Uh, I did go into heavy rotation with her after watching this episode. Um, all of her, Apple, her music's on Apple Music, and uh, she's definitely a bad babe of history, but I'm pretty sure that she's the epitome of a radical sex witch, too. Like, she was she was so ahead of her time. If you go listen to her music, you're going to be shocked. It's like, it's some other form of funk. And if you can find archival video, go check that out, too. And 100% go watch that episode of uh, Tales from the Tour Bus. If you've never seen that, the whole first season is for, like, the OG country people and then the second season about funk. But what's really great is all of these interviews and everything have been drawn into cartoons. So it's essentially a whole cartoon. They do show, like, some real photographs and real concert images and stuff. And, like, Betty was amazing. So go check that out. Uh, yeah. And if you can find that documentary, I want to go look for it too. I, I think that, uh, it'd be really interesting to see because there's obviously a lot more in it than what the, uh, New York yeah. times article covered. Yeah. Yeah. So if you take a listen or watch any of this and let us know what you think, if you're just have, discovering her music and her story. Have you looked her up yet? Knowing that we were getting into this? Did. Know, yeah. Isn't she just gorgeous yep. and space age and amazing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just really, I just, I just feel into like the incredible, like there's so much courage to be able to just really step into the creative being you are when the world doesn't accept you, like as a woman, as a black woman, as all of these things. Right. So, um, and being ahead of your time too. Yeah. There is one little eps, there's like one little story told in Tales of the Tour Bus that when she walked out on stage, she was like in this little like skin tight, skimpy something or other and big moon boots and her legs. And she's very tall and lanky. And like this one man in the crowd was so shocked by how she came out and commanded presence. Like he fell backwards into a table full of glasses and just like crushed the whole thing and fell on the floor. Like for that time, it was just something that they didn't see. And she was yeah. she was so ahead of it. And I know what it's like trying to like make your way into a man's world and even influencing it and never getting the credit that you're deserved. So, you know, I hope that Betty found some peace before she passed away in 2022. Same. Yeah. All right. Leah, thanks for sharing her with us. Yeah. I love her. Uh, Next time when we're back on the radical sex, which is (laughs) Carla's going to love this one. Medieval sex poems. Sure do. It's a good one. I'm little Leah. And I'm Carla. We are the Radical Sex Witches, and we will see you next time. 
Hello, witchy listener. It's Carla here. If you're feeling disconnected from pleasure and unfulfilled in life, reach out to me and let's connect on a free call. I love helping women like you shift to owning your sexual power, reconnecting to your body, and finding your unique radical sex witch within. Go to CarlaWainwright.com or find my contact info in the show notes. Let's co-create a life for you that is truly turned on.